Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day here in the Pacific Northwest. And you're listening to the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, where the sun is shining, and it's just a gorgeous fall day outside. But you're not going to smell leaves burning out here because we are still in fire season, believe it or not. Even though we got some rain over the weekend, uh, they have lifted some of the the restrictions out there as far as mowing lawns and a few other things. But you cannot burn yard debris yet because as long as we're in fire season, that is banned. So got to be careful out there. They're expecting actually to get above normal temperatures this weekend. Uh, up into the mid to upper 70s for this time of year is pretty warm, and humidity is actually down in the teens, and an east wind, which is uh, for uh, the fire folks uh, in the coast range, is you know one of those things that just can be disastrous because you get these uh, fire starts with that east wind, just they and they'll they'll move ahead really fast, and sometimes the only thing that'll stop one of those fires is the Pacific Ocean. So uh, be really careful. Still can't burn yet. Uh, you know, if you're in doubt about whether you can have a campfire and that sort of stuff, call your local fire district, and they'll be able to tell you what you're allowed to do. But uh, it's not quite out of the woods with the rain this weekend. We didn't get as much as they called for. And uh, with the uh, prediction for sunshine for the next several days and high Higher, higher than normal temperatures, way lower than normal humidities. Um, they're, they're a little concerned about the weather coming up. So no open burning yet in Lane County. So that's your public service announcement for the day from the Bose Nose Show. But the Bose Nose Show is all about having a conversation about whatever is on your mind. If whoever's listening here, particularly my constituents out there or anyone in Lane County that has a question, has a comment or topic they want to talk about, give us a call at 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the conversation, that you're not just calling to listen. Again, that's 646-721-9887, and just press 1 to get in on the conversation. So i got a couple things I want to talk about today. And, and unless you call me, that's what we're going to be talking about. First is we got a report, and basically um, it was a, a, a really um, an interesting analysis by a nationally recognized firm that looks into this in multiple jurisdictions, so they bring experience from all over the country, about our system that's serving homeless persons here in Lane County. And it is a system. Uh, there's all sorts of nonprofits and governmental agencies involved, and they all interconnect in various ways. And uh, they gave a report on, you know, first of all, map of our system to understand how it works. And then second of all, where the gaps are in our system and how it can be improved, maybe to change our homeless picture a little bit. And just to kind of put into perspective, 
um, Lane County's homeless issues in, in general, the consultants noted that the West Coast in general has a growing homeless problem. It's not just Eugene, it's Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, LA, San Diego, the whole West Coast area. And part of that's being driven by the fact that there is a really hot housing market here. Um, there's other issues going on that drive that. But in particular, it's really exacerbated here in Lane County for a lot of reasons. Um, and I'll get into those in a minute. But just to put some of that perspective, the, the federal um, housing and urban development department, you know, HUD, has something they call continuums of care, which are these regions and cooperating agencies that provide services to folks in poverty. Um, and they grant money to these continuums of care of which Lane County um, and our Human Services Commission is the local continuum of care. There are 399 of these around the country. So there's out of those 399, Lane County ranks 42nd in the total number of people that are homeless. So you think about if there's 399 of those, they cover places like Boston, Atlanta, LA, Seattle, you know, so you think about all the cities. We are not the 42nd largest by population, you know, continuum of care in the country, but we are 42nd in homeless population. And if you go into the smaller city, county, regional continuums of care, so you eliminate the LAs and the, and the Seattles, we're number six in chronically homeless and un, under their definition of chronically homeless. And that you know, basically refers to somebody that's been continuously homeless for a year or more or has had at least four episodes of homelessness in the last three years as chronically homeless. So we're number six for the smaller regions in the country for chronically homeless. So we, we've got a problem here in Lane County with homelessness. Uh, and, you know, most of our statistics and some of our survey work we've done, it's not about people moving into Lane County because we're not the only city on the West Coast that's got problems. One only has to travel to Portland or Seattle or San Francisco, even San Diego, to see how severe their homeless problems are. Um, so the, uh, generally folks that do come into our community that are homeless are similar to the folks that leave our community maybe to go to Portland to be homeless. Um, there's a transient, small percentage of homeless people that are that are transient, but we have as many outgoing as incoming just about. So it's not about attracting them. It just happens to be we have a combination of factors that drives our homelessness. And they talked a bit about, you know, some of those factors that drive that Lane County. And, you know, some of them were, you know, our low um, vacancy rate. Our vacancy rate in Lane County was in the uh, 2.9% uh, or something like that when the average on the West Coast is over 5%. So just in our rental vacancy, we have less units available, which means they're not turning over very much or, or when they do turn over, there's a lot of competition for them, which is why the rents are going up. So we have this increasing rents driven by lack of housing supply and a high occupancy rate Against that, we have a in Lane County proportionately compared to the rest of the nation in the West, we have a higher concentration of seniors and a higher concentration of students because of the universities. So that drives our average income levels down. So against this higher than normal housing cost and less available housing, we've also got lower incomes. And, you know, kind of start to see the problem here, why we have such a large um, homeless population in a lot of ways. Along with that, there's some issues around mental health and, and addiction that go into that. Um, they, you know, they estimate, you know, that about half of the homeless population is either addicted um, to a sub substance or they are mentally ill 
uh, or dealing with a serious mental illness or both, probably more than that, but it's about, you know, people self-identifying and the, and the, and in the survey work, um, but they can more or less assuredly say it's at least 50%. So, um, there are other drivers in homelessness besides just low income and lack of housing. So, but what was a particular interest is um, a good portion of our unsheltered population. Now we're going to kind of get into some of the, the weeds with homelessness are single adults. In fact, it was almost 90% of our unsheltered because we've really tried hard in Lane County to provide systems of support for folks with children and families. Um, so it's really about the single adults as the unhoused portion of that um, ranking that gets us up to 42nd in the nation. Um, so that's, you know, understanding that. So one of the things they looked at particularly was our systems for what's the shelter availability for those single adults in our, and how's the system work for them. And they went through, they did some system mapping, determine what services we provide, you know, and everyone knows about um, the mission in some of our other shelters, but there really are no low barrier emergency shelters available in Lane County. In order to get into the mission, you can't be using uh, and an, an, have an active addiction going on. So that's not a low barrier shelter. Uh, there are other issues there. You know, if you're a couple, you can't stay together at the mission. They split you up. Um, it, there are various other issues why people don't get into the mission. Mission does great work. Uh, at, you know, th th they house a large amount of our po on our homeless population, and they're doing really good uh, case management and trying to get folks moved on past emergency housing into um, better you know, more permanent housing and moving them back into society. So they're doing great work there. I don't mean to criticize the mission, but there's this big gap in our system where we don't have any place for us to send somebody that we say find that's illegally camping um, somewhere in the city and causing maybe an issue about where they're, they've chosen to camp. There's no place for them to go unless they're clean and sober and possibly don't have a criminal record, you know, and all sorts of things that are bare to various uh, programs that are available right now and shelters that are available. A lot of them have requirements, you know, that you have to meet before you can get in. So there's no, um, no real place for those folks to go, which leads to a whole nother issue relative to a, a Ninth Circuit Court decision that says you can't just arrest people for illegally camping if there's no place for them to go instead. And right now in Lane County, there is no place. So we're, you know, we're running into an issue about how do we, how do we handle the homeless um, right now that are choosing to camp in public spaces around Lane County um, if we've got a court decision that says we can't just um, trespass them from that public property. And, and you know, arrest them or do other, harass them, various other things. So one of the first things that the, the um, consultants identified about our system was that that particular lack of that low barrier emergency housing. And what they recommended to us was that we build a shelter of between 50 and 75 beds. That doesn't seem like very many because we've got right now um, a significant number of people on any particular night that are unhoused, almost over a thousand, just about, you know, a single uh, adults that are unhoused. So when you, you know, think about that 50 to 75 beds doesn't do much to address that. In fact, they, they figure after 12 months, the only thing that's going to do is drop the number of uh, unsheltered people down by about 30, because one of the things we have going on right now is we've got more people entering the system every every month uh, due to our the, the other drivers we talked about, like the, the high cost of housing, low availability, low incomes, people becoming newly addicted. Who knows what happened? You know, a fight with um, their 
their roommates and getting kicked out of a, of a multiple roommate situation, you know, that suddenly puts them on the street. But you know, there are all sorts of reasons why. But it wasn't just when they mapped our system, it wasn't just about a lack of those beds. They also called out some other things we need to try and do in Lane County. One of which is we don't really do a good job of diverting people from homelessness. You know, get, catching them at that moment where they're becoming homeless and diverting them, you know, trying to provide that um, support or whatever it was to keep them from becoming homeless or to connect it, you know, it could be something as simple as that person just got kicked out of their situation where they had multiple roommates, they didn't get along, they were they they got the short straw because you know they were they were the one they were the one that was considered the problem, so they got the boot. And um, that person might originally have family in another state somewhere, but you know without a lot of income and the resources and having to try and just think about where am I going to sleep tonight hasn't gotten the ability to connect to that family and get the transportation necessary maybe to hook up with that family and get stabilized there. It could be as simple as that to, um, you know, just a, you know, a few minor things like the, you know, the payment of a, of a bill that was out that was causing the, an eviction or something, you know, just, little things that might keep somebody from becoming homeless because it's a whole lot easier to keep somebody housed than it is to rehouse. So working on our diversion so we have less people coming into the system. We also need to um, increase uh, our um, use of what they call interventions. And, And also, you know, and part of that, there's multiple pieces of that. But just, you know, trying to help folks um, tenancy support. You know, once we get somebody in, into a temporary housing situation, teach, teaching them how to be better tenants and, and being a good tenant and getting them into then into more permanent rental situations and continuing to support their tenancy um, and making sure they're staying a good, good tenant. Um, and then just kind of increasing what we have to do is kind of increase our turnover in the system too. Cause one of the things we're having happen in our system when they mapped it out was some of our more um, transitional housing isn't really being transitional. There's a 2% move out rate from one of our, you know, transitional housing programs. That's not, you know, people are getting, we're getting people in, but we're not getting them out. <laughs> so, it, you know, part of it is, you know, there needs to be more places to put them on the outside because that's part of the bottleneck. The other part is is working for the working with those people in case management to get them to move into that turnover. So increasing turnover rate in our existing programs. And then they also suggested that we need to add another 350 units of that kind of permanent supported housing that you know, keeps these people housed versus having them fail and get and become homeless again. That's all about turning the pipeline off to a certain degree. They, they did some uh, mathematical modeling of this whole system and how it would work. And if we build that, you know, 75 bed emergency bed shelter, add the 350 units over the next three years. Um, so they're not talking about building them all up front um, and do those other things with increasing diversion, increasing the utilization um, and and interventions and increasing our turnover. After three years, we could bring our unsheltered um, population down to zero. We'll still have homeless people in emergency shelters like the Mission and this new shelter and some other programs, but at least they'll be sheltered and if you get that down to zero, and eventually it's going to start working to where that that the still that the, there'll still be the, the, there'll be less and less homeless people um, as we work through this system, that gives us the ability when that new homeless person shows up and is you know pitched to camp in a place that's inappropriate and is being disruptive uh, to local commerce and and residents or whatever. We'll have some place to take them at that point without violating their civil rights. We'll have an emergency shelter to bring them to. So after three years, 
we could see a significant change in the homeless situation. The one thing they didn't get to in the study yet, that's yet to come in the final report, because this was a draft report to the Board of Commissioners and the, and the Eugene City Council today, is attaching dollars to the strategy they identified that would get us to that zero unsheltered. That'll be the interesting part, because if you have a 75-bed emergency shelter, it's got to be staffed 24 hours, seven days a week. So how much is that staff going to cost a year? If we're going to build 350 permanent supported housing units, they have to be staffed. And then there's a capital cost to that. If we're going to increase our diversion, there's a staffing element to that. So they're going to look at that and give us some estimates of what those um, what those are going to cost. But part of what they're, they're hoping to do, though, is in, in addition, they're going to look at efficiencies in our existing system that may actually free up staff to do some of the other work they're talking about. So um, hopefully it won't be as scary a number as I think it's gonna come out to be, but we'll see. Uh, but it's at least gonna give us an idea of a target we can look at. And at least now we know um, sort of what it's gonna take to, to make a, a real improvement in our homeless situation here in Lane County. Kind of been just, you know, doing patchwork and we're doing our best to work as a system, but this is the first time where we've done a full-blown system analysis of all those services and really have a map of where we need to improve that will actually, you know, make a change in the system. So it was sort of a very interesting um, meeting and kind of looking forward to the next steps, you know, that those budget estimates, um, you know, a full um, list of best practices we need to incorporate and, and an implementation um, recommendations they'll have. So it's going to be really uh, an interesting next step. That final report's due in December. So uh, be looking for that coming up. But, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, if we can manage to, to achieve some of this work and see if it does make a change. Uh, it, here in Lane County. So um, definitely something I'm looking forward to doing. On the other side, we need to work on some of those drivers. We need to work on our housing supply. We've talked about that here on the Bose Nose Show, everything from accessory dwelling units to trying to get more residential land uh, available out there. Uh, and we need to work on the income side. We need to be bringing in uh, economic development where we're getting, you know, high wage, you know, uh, jobs here in Lane County and bring up those incomes. You know, a combination of the two, if we could manage to have more housing available at lower cost and bring up the wage base, uh, I think we would eliminate some of the, the economically caused homelessness in our society. We'll, we'll probably never quite, uh, there'll always be people that will be becoming homeless for various reasons, um, but we don't need to add the economic end of it to dealing with the folks that might be having a mental uh, illness problem or an addiction issue that's driving uh, their homeless situation. So um, that's just, uh, we, that's a place where we can work on that driver for sure, as well as trying to keep, you know, people away from um, ruining their lives through getting, you know, criminal sentences and a few other things. Um, there are other prevention strategies we can we can undertake, but definitely probably one of the biggest ones that we could bring you know get more housing available and bring down the cost of housing is going to going to help the inflow of homeless uh, probably more than anything we can do um, as as a uh, a region. So that's kind of my my overview of our 90 minute meeting in about 20 minutes here uh, on the Bose Nose Show. So if you have any questions about some of those numbers I threw out there and uh, the strategies and everything else that were involved in, in our um, our report on uh, our homeless services mapping and a shelter um, recommendation that came out of our consultant, uh, just give me a call here at Bozno Shows, 646-721-9887. 
Just press one. Let's Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one. And you can call about something other than homelessness if you want. Um, we'll talk about what you want to talk about here on the Bo's Nose Show. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk a bit about PERS. And there is a tie between homelessness and PERS, believe it or not. And people are like, how can a retirement system for public employees be tied in with homelessness? It's tied in because remember when I mentioned on the homeless thing about budget estimates and all that stuff? Budgets are being blown up right now in Oregon by the cost increases involved in our public employee retirement system. And if that wasn't blowing our budgets up so much, we might have more resources to staff the solutions called for in the report on homelessness that we received today. So there is a tie. So one of the things that's important to me about PERS reforms is about being able to provide more services to our public for less money and not having to cut services just to pay for a retirement system. So, you know, we got, you know, had another basically more than 90-minute discussion at the Association of Oregon County's uh, Governance Committee on Monday, and we had a presentation from the Oregon Business Council. Tim Nesbitt um, is working for them part-time in retirement uh, after some of his other employment. Um, over the years, and people might recognize his name as being a pretty much political um, junkie involved in, in Salem for a long time, uh, mostly on the union side of things. Uh, but uh, he was there speaking for the Oregon Business Council, who he's working for now, because they're really concerned about the PERS system. Because right now, we have an expanding economy. And our revenues coming into the state are at record levels. We should be adding services right now, but we're not. We're actually looking at cutting back on services because we have this humongous drain on our public government system called PERS. And just to kind of, you know, put a little bit of that into perspective, you know, we have an unfunded liability in our system that's about $26 billion is what they estimated at. And I've always argued that that's underestimated because they're basing that on an assumed rate of return for their investments in the PERS fund of 7.2%, which is, I think, an unrealistic um, ex expectation over the long term, and if you lower that, that down, it actually increases the unfunded liability. And that, that unfunded liability, you know, when you think about it, it really puts Oregon in, in some places that you just don't want to be. And you look at where we are relative to the rest of the country, where our employees put almost nothing into the system, uh, where, you know, nationally employers' um, payroll percentage is running about 13.3%. And right now in Oregon, our public employers are paying about um, 20%, and it's getting ready to go to 25% in the next biennium and 30% of payroll. That's That percentage is of payroll um, in the following biennium. So, you know, that's, we're that far out of whack with the nas nationally with, with cost of pensions. But, you know, when you start trying to um, take this unfunded actuarial liability and compare it to really what it is for Oregonians, um, it's currently about $13,369 per household. And for every public employee that's in the system, it's about 128,900. So you we basically 
you know, saddled every household in Oregon with an, a liability that's equal to, you know, what they might have outstanding on their on a new car. So, you know, we're we're basically obligating them to paying for a car over the next, you know, 20 years or so. So that's that's just to try and give you a perspective of where we sit, and it's really um, probably the biggest threat to our education system here in Oregon, our biggest threat to public services. And when you really look at the B, it's just it's almost scary where the rates are are going, um, and where the the unfunded actuarial liability is going. Yeah. So, um, you know, not wanting to get into where we're up to, uh, you know, 31% of payroll, you know, in the 21-23 biennium, you know, which you can imagine what that's going to do to school district budgets. Uh, we need to start looking at some ways of reducing that um, unfunded actuarial liability. And, of course, you know, everyone's pretty well aware that uh, there's there's this whole court case and court history of PERS reforms. And one of the things that the courts have made really clear is we can't change benefits that have been earned to date. So if you were a tier one employee and you've earned, if you were to retire today and, and your retirement would be X, we can't go backwards from that X. What we can do is we could stop and say, you can't accrue any more benefits under that plan, and we're going to move you your, in the future. You're going to now be on a different plan, and you'll accrue benefits under that different plan, and um, you'll still get the benefits that you earned over the, you know, that, in that previous plan. That, that would be legal, at least um, from what the most recent court decisions have said on PERS reforms. So with that kind of understanding and trying to figure out what's legal and what's not, um, they came up with a set of PERS reforms they thought would be palatable for uh, employees and for the public. They thought they might be able to get through this next session of legislation. And all it does is chop off about $6 million of the unfunded actuarial liability. So there's, still not going to get to fixing the PERS liabilities completely because a lot of it's built up from what we've already promised people. But it does get a long ways towards making the system a bit more stable going forward. Um, So what they're proposing to do, I'm trying to flip to the correct page so I can get the summary correctly, um, is to basically... um, Try and get a little bit of cost sharing, get a little bit of rebalance in the system, and um, to kind of prevent uh, some of these crazy, you know, headline-making retirements where people are getting fifty thousand dollars a month. They're they're looking at basically the you know getting the employee cost sharing. And doing it in a fair manner where you're not making the newer employees pay for the, um, the the generous benefits of the older employees under Tier 1 and Tier 2. So what they were looking at was um, having employees that are Tier 1 and Tier 2 contribute 6% of their payroll into the PERS system, and the Tier 3 employees contribute 3% of their, you know, of their payroll. And then um, the employees would have the option of right now all employees are contributing 6% into their individual um, accounts, the IAPs, which is a portion of the retirement system that's not PERS. It's a a defined contribution um, system that's separate. And if an employee wants to stop doing IAP and have their that 6% that's currently being withdrawn, putting IAP, pay their, their 6% in the PERS, they could do that. Um, and they're looking at setting up a, a new defined contribution plan and um, 
kind of doing a, a, a benefit rebalance and, and a better management of the re remaining liabilities, maybe stretching some of that over time um, through some various financial tools. So they're not, because it's sort of a, when you look at the PERS unfunded liability, it looks a bit like, you know, a typical bell curve. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse, and then it starts tapering off as we get past the tier one, tier two retirees. Um, so the, it, the real issue is how do we get past the top of that bell curve? And one of the ways might be is to extend that liability out into the downturn of the bell curve to level it off. It you know, lasts longer, but at a lower level, maybe, so it doesn't quite uh, peak so high and be such a massive draw on our system. But they really um, went through this uh, and basically said that they can, this, the reforms they're proposing would basically would be a $6 billion improvement. But that makes a difference from instead of being 31% of payroll, it would be it could stay down at that 25% of payroll. It could prevent that that huge increase a couple bienniums from now, because that six billion dollars is about six points of payroll over statewide the employees that are in the system. So, it'd be interesting interesting to see um, this group. The Oregon Business Council is kind of a um, I would say a more liberal business group. And they have some ties in with organized labor, obviously, through um, yeah, Tim Nesbitt. So it would be interesting to see um, if they're able to make this thing work um, and, get, and, and get the legislators to actually agree. Because, um, and whether or not groups like the teachers uh, unions and the public employees will fight this. Because they'll look at it as a reduction in their their benefits in some ways. But, you know, part of the problem is PERS has actually been overly successful. It was originally set up and targeted to supply 50% of your average, you know, your last, you know, your final average salary um, if you worked 30 years. And it's been actually doing much better than 50%. Uh, a final average salary, and and, uh, and what they're thinking is that they really have set that target a little too high. It should be set lower, uh, and there's some ways of doing that, and it might be actually one of the things is we use three years to, to get the final average salary. Maybe it should be five years. A lot of states use five years, and that might lower the final average salary a little bit um, in doing the formula calculation doesn't affect money match though, which is the, the other part that, that has created a problem in PERS and money match was originally set up to deal with some folks when they started the PERS system that were on a different system and transferred into it to make sure they were held whole and it wasn't meant to be an ongoing part of the system, but got left in place. Like a lot of things in government, once you get it started, it's always hard to kill it. Um, but this is, you know, this is the 900-pound gorilla in a room that no one wants to talk about. You know, when you talk about taking our um, employer rates and that our payroll and in increasing that rate from 20% uh, up to 30% over the next four years, over you know, four years basically, um, that's a huge increase. Because you have to think at the same time, payroll's naturally going up anyhow. You know, cost of living increases, whatever else, uh, is going up about 3.5% a year anyway. But if you take a benefit that's a percentage of that payroll and basically, you know, go from 20% to 30% of payroll, that's a lot of money. And there's only one way to make that up in a lot of places because, you know, our Property tax doesn't increase that fast. Our, um, you know, the income tax is variable. You know, we're going to be making that up by cuts in services. And certainly the school districts that are heavily dependent on just property tax are going to have problems dealing with that. You know, so they're really looking at, um, you know, how, you know, what's that really mean? And at one point, I think they were looking at 
that equate, you know, if they keep going up like that and the impact on schools was 5,000 teachers, eight school days. You know, that, that's what the, the PERS system is going to start costing them by 2023. The increased PERS cost borne by school districts, you know, would pay for 5,000 teachers across the whole state. So just, you know, it's an incredible impact it's going to have. And I don't know why the legislature has continued to kick the can down the road and not want to deal with this, but they have to deal with it this session. And um, just trying to be educated uh, about it and, and, you know, bugging your legislature. If you're a parent and has a kid in school, you ought to care about this. If you're a senior, you should care about this, uh, you know, because this is going to have impact on all the services we provide seniors. And if we have to start trying to make it up with serial levies and all that stuff, it's going to drive your property tax up, which can be a major bill for a senior citizen. So it just anyone in Oregon should be interested in the PERS system, because one of the things it's going to drive is a huge call for new taxes if we do not deal with this there's probably still going to be a call for new taxes to pay for the rest of that unfunded liability. Um, but there's, there may be other ways of dealing with some of that, but it's really going to be uh, uh, interesting in the legislature in 2019 to see if they can actually show the stomach to deal with this particular issue and, and um, you know, really get down and tackle it and have and pass a reform that actually has meaning and will actually do something for that long-term unfunded actuarial liability that's in the system you know well beyond 20 billion and, and uh you know i think it's underestimated i actually think it falls in the 30 some billion range so if we don't start chipping away at it uh with some meaningful reforms you're going to start seeing it in uh, larger classroom sizes, less days of teaching, uh, and all sorts of uh, problems in the public school system. You're going to see it in, um, you know, less police officers on the street because, you know, police services is all personnel for the most part. Uh, you know, you may not see it quite so much in, in the highway department because a lot of the highway department is actually asphalt and concrete, but it still will have some impact there. Uh, but, you know, when you think about those personnel heavy services, uh, like the human services that support our homeless population, those services are going to be hard pressed to keep their budgets intact if their PERS bill is increasing. Uh, by 50% in the next four years. So that's just really, um, you know, getting back around to the homelessness thing, dealing with PERS helps us deal with the homeless. And so for anyone that's concerned about the social side of things and how we're, you know, providing services to those folks that are the, the most vulnerable in our society, they should be pushing for PERS reform. If you're a parent, you should be pushing for PERS reform. If you're a senior, you should be pushing for PERS reform. If you're a taxpayer, you should be pushing for PERS reform. So a really serious issue for uh, the long-term viability of governments in Oregon is this whole issue of making the necessary changes to not make PERS worse. And uh, I'll jump off. The soapbox now and give a moment to allow folks maybe if they want to call in to the Bo's Nose show here, express their opinion about homelessness, about PERS, or anything else that's on your mind at 646-721-9888. Try that one more time. 646-721-9887. Just press one. That's Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire know you want to get on the conversation again that's 646-721-9887 and just press one so got about 
15 minutes here left on the Bose Nose Show. I've run through my two major topics. I can get into some other things, but I was wondering, Robin, I didn't do take any time to think of what were they thinking this week. Do you have anything on your mind? Uh, <laughs> stump, uh, stump this call screener here. <laughs> I'm thinking of the local government, uh, governor's race. Uh-huh. Now, I don't have any particulars. It's just that it just kind of sounds like it's going to be entertaining. Yeah, yeah, it will be entertaining. You know, I already gave... Uh, Kate Brown, or what were the, you thinking award when she protested that commercial about her uh, and just made the commercial go viral? Uh, yeah. The, the scary story commercial, if everyone want, remembers that episode. Yeah, it's interesting um, watching some of the, that whole thing go on. Uh, yeah, what, but that, that was my what you were thinking then. Yes, yeah, I'm trying to think if I remember something in particular in the news that, that strikes me as, as uh, interesting, but I'm just... Uh, how about what you told me the, before the show regarding Portland? And politically incorrect. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah that That's kind of a... <laughs> so, yeah, we've talked about political discourse here on, on the Bozno show a lot. Um, and, and my desire for people to, you know, to assume good intentions and all that. Um, but, you know, sometimes there is a necessity to use correct language. And one of the things that's happened in our society is one of the ways of uh, not so much trying to get political discourse to be civil, but to shut it down, which is not a civil way of having political discourse is to suddenly declare a word or phrase to be politically incorrect and unusable anymore. You know, because of that phrase, uh, for some reason, you know, supposedly be a code word or be coded language and all that. So the, the latest attempt at uh, shutting down civil debate by banning a word has been this attempt to ban the word mob. You know, there there is a clear, you know, definition and and ability to say when something is a mob, you know, which is basically, you know, uh, an un, uh, unlawful or unruly or ungovernable, uh, spontaneous. Uh, gathering of people it can even be non-spontaneous, but basically, you know, you know what a mob is. Most people know what a mob is when they see one. Right. Well, now actually call something a mob is considered to be politically incorrect, and you are therefore weaponizing the use of that term and can't can't say it anymore. And I, that, you know, that was, you know, there there is such a thing as a mob. Somehow, I don't think it'd go over just as, as good, you know, listening to the news reports saying, well, there was a gaggle of people out in the streets of Portland today. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Well, and, and it's just, you know, it was, it was done basically so people couldn't describe things like what happened in Portland with the Antifa folks flooding the streets and directing traffic illegally, beating on cars that, that, they chose to beat on not, you know, letting other ones pass, you know, based on assumptions about what the occupants, you know, uh, backgrounds were. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the uh, government's job. Yeah, um, it was. It, yeah, that. Yeah, the government's the one that's supposed to be out there doing that. <laughs> now, the directing of traffic, the government's supposed to be doing, not 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 those folks, but that that, you know. That group of people being described as a mob is now considered uh, politically incorrect suddenly. Yeah. And, and this wasn't just something that started a while back or something, you know, and slowly got to be, you know, you know, where certain words became politically incorrect over time. This was suddenly declared starting this last weekend. For some reason, it suddenly became the meme uh, in in commentary, and it's like there was some sort of coordination 
almost uh, how it's suddenly sprung up that mob is now considered to be a word you can't use. Well, I have a good replacement for it, which which will probably get some more emails at uh, yeah. talk at caribbeanradio.net. <clears throat> yeah. Um, bowling pin. So so instead of a mob, there is a bowling pin in the streets today. Yeah. And so, and the cars would be the bowling ball. <laughs> oh, no, no. That, now you're getting into territory. We're going to get emails, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go there. Don't go there. I mean, that's actually not, I, I'll even say that that's politically incorrect. <laughs> well, because heard- people, people have been run down in, in, in protest events by frustrated motorists or, or intentionally because people disagreed with the protest. Um, and so I don't want to put that image in folks' heads. Uh, but but uh, it works for Maxine Waters. Yeah, yeah. But no, I'm not suggesting that anything. I'm just saying that they could yeah. be called. I was thinking we should call it. Uh, I, I was going to suggest maybe we change it to murder. Murder? Yeah, there was a murder in the street today. Because, you know, that's what they refer to a group of crows as. And they're kind of unruly and noisy, you know. So, so instead of a, you know, if you can call a, a group of crows a murder, why can't we call a group of protesters a murder? Yeah, just a, just the same thing as I call a, a a cop hiding in the bushes shooting radar a spider. <laughs> yeah. Quite clarification for that, don't you? Um, maybe. <laughs> it's clean. A, a spider sits in its web waiting for somebody to enter its trap. It goes out there and and does its thing, then comes back and recesses the, the trap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, true. And, you know, the cop in the bushes with the radar gets about the same reaction out of people when they finally see them. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a sudden application of the brakes, you know. Yeah. So to our, yeah. to our people in law enforcement, that is no disrespect. Yes, yes. You're doing, a, you're doing your job, and we've talked about the increase in traffic deaths in this state due to the lack of law enforcement. So whenever I see traffic enforcement going on, I kind of have to cheer a little bit because that's one of the ways we alter driver behaviors um, is with enforcement. So I know we all hate it when it happens to us. <laughs> Yes. But so, overall, it's a good thing. But, you know, they actually have a really tough job because they have to try and fix stupid. So, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah, so I guess we can give the what were they thinking to the folks that wanted to declare mob as a, the, the latest word to be banned under the, the, the political correctness uh, movement uh, in general. Not that I like the political correctness movement because I think there's um, freedom of speech, and I think a lot of times if people want to make themselves sound stupid by using bad language, let them do it. There you go. Because word, words don't hurt. Yeah. Actions do. Right. Yeah, the only time words can hurt are in a few times that you can actually limit speech, like you can't yell fire in a theater. Unless it's on fire. Yeah. Can't make a specific threat against somebody you know that there's few places you can't you know speech wise you can't go there but if somebody wants to use a term that maybe is not so politically correct um it's up to them to show their ignorance or not they don't understand you know that that why people may not like them to use that phrase speaking of that did you enjoy indigenous people's day on on monday indigenous people's day (laughs) Did I miss that again? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I missed it too. Like I said, I was in Salem all day Monday. I did not take that day off. Um, state workers get it off, but I don't. Oh, I get, I get where you're going. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah I forgot we changed that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, that, I, that one I'm not quite sure I understand that. But that we won't we won't get there. I want to talk about getting... Getting emailed at talk at krbnradio.net. Don't get me into that one. (laughs) 
Yeah, somehow it just doesn't go along with the rhyme or something. But uh, yeah, and then it uh, doesn't that mean they also have to change a few street names? Yeah, they might, and maybe a few town names, capital of Ohio. Yeah, you know, little stuff like that. But then again, what if I'm offended by that word? Indigenous. It, it could it could create an unmob. Yeah, yeah. What's you know fascinating is if you look uh, anthropologically at the uh, Americas, um, what is now considered the indigenous peoples actually uh, dislocated a whole other set of peoples that crossed the land bridge over the Bering Sea during an ice age before them, a pre, an ice age is earlier than them. So, um, you know, that, that the claim to be indigenous is, is a very interesting, um, interesting issue if you look in the long-term flow of, of the human population over time uh, in, in, into the North American continent. But like I said, we shouldn't go there. I'm going to get phone calls now. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what kind of what we want, though. Yes, 646-721-9887. We've got about five minutes left in the Bose Nose Show, plenty of time for conversation. And because of the joy of Internet radio, I don't have to necessarily end exactly on an hour. If we're in the middle of a hot and heavy conversation, we will extend the show with the conversation. So one of the great things about Internet radio that you get you don't have to necessarily listen to us live you can go to itunes and uh search for us on itunes and and listen there you can go to our facebook page and you know click on all the old facebook live posts and hear past shows a bazillion ways once something's on the internet it lives forever exactly don't forget about uh player.fm our mobile app yes so all sorts of ways to listen to the Bose Nose Show with your host, Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich here, and with Robin, our call screener and producer extraordinaire, chiming in from Springfield. And, I don't know uh, if people remember the old uh, Hutch's Toyota ads before Hutch's sold out to, uh, I forget who they sold out to, Romania or somebody, I forget. Um, but they, they used to do these ads, and their main uh, dealership was in Springfield, and they always talked about, come on down to Hush's in Springfield. Springfield, good old Springtown. Springfield, Oregon, yeah. They always well, emphasize the Springfield, so whenever I think of Springfield, I think of that commercial. <laughs> yep. And you, too, can join us. Yep. So from anywhere... We've actually had a call from South Africa one time. Don't know why that guy was up at that time of night listening to the Bose Nose Show, but he was. We've had calls from Arkansas and Louisiana in the past. If you're not in Lane County or Oregon, don't feel like you can't call. Yeah. And it would be an interesting um, poll question, especially since we broadcast around the world. Unless uh, you think we're flat, then we're broadcasting over the world. We have uh, one of my favorite holidays coming up, which is Halloween. And I'm curious what people are going to dress as, and especially if you live in another country. Mm. It's celebrated in other countries. Yeah, it's starting to be celebrated more. You know, the, the, the actual Halloween traditions, uh, quite more, much more American, um, All Hallows' Eve. It's more international. And, of course, you know, there's all sorts of variations on, on uh, saints' holidays and er- across the, the world. But, yeah, wh- what are people going to be for Halloween? Yeah, I, 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 I guess there's some, probably some political, uh, cost, politically incorrect costumes that might scare some people nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I understand the Hillary masks are selling out like crazy. Well, I imagine a Trump mask would scare a bunch of people, too. That's true. Are there any Kate? Kate Browns? <laughs> I haven't seen that one. Anyways, until next week. 
Until next week. Yeah, maybe next week people can call and tell us what they're going to be dressed up for Halloween. I I am going to be in jolly old England or just flying back from it on Halloween. So my costume will be a jet lagged traveler. Uh, well, thank you for listening to Bo's Nose Show. We'll be back next week at 4 o'clock with more information about Lane County, Oregon, and the nation, and your calls when you call in. So thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.